Montreal Canadiens hockey, Montreal Impact Soccer, Major League Baseball, NFL football, the Masters, Olympics, and so much more. Your home for Major League Sports is TSM 690. Good morning. It's Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. John Stills with me. We're here till noon, week nine in the NFL. Who's the most complete team in football? We'll break that down for you throughout the show. We'll also talk a little fantasy football in about uh, 20, 15, 20 minutes or so. If you've got a question for our expert, John Daigle, send it to us at 11690 via text message. The NHL targeting a return of January 1st. Can they make that happen? I'll tell you what I think a little later on. How about we catch up with a former Al's great, Thomas Haskins. will join the show just after 10.35. Looking forward to that. And it's decision day in the MLS tomorrow. Vasily Kremenzidis of the Montreal Impact will join us at 11.05 to talk about that. And that's exactly where I'd like to start. It's pretty much win and you're in for the Montreal Impact against DC United tomorrow afternoon. You can hear that game on TSN 690 beginning at 2.30 with Grant Needham and myself as we bring you the pregame show. We'll also have a full postgame show uh, after the game. And of course, uh, we will have play-by-play in color of the entire game as the Impact try to win and beat DC United. It's no secret the Impact are struggling. They've dropped three games in a row. They haven't scored in back-to-back games. And they have just two wins and a draw in their last 12. But destiny still in their own hands. It's been a rough season. They've started and stopped more times than I can remember. And they haven't been able to spend a significant amount of time at home in forever. But I maintain that this is a team that can get hot and they can go on a run. Do I think they're likely to win MLS Cup? No. But if I was another team, I'm not sure I'd be thrilled to face the Montreal Impact in a one-off play-in game or even in a short home-and-away series. They're very unpredictable, and despite the low offensive output in the last two games, they can score goals. They've shown that all season. Can they prevent goals from going into their own net? Eh, remains to be seen. I'm just incredibly curious to see what they have left in the tank after such a long grind that has been the 2020 MLS regular season. This is what it comes down to, folks. Impact fans are, are I think, uh, just getting the sense of, of speaking to some of you over Twitter and you know just the the interactions over the text message board at eleven six ninety. I can tell Impact fans are, are nervous, and I can understand why because things haven't been going well of late. But all you need is three points to secure your spot in the MLS Cup playoffs. And I don't really care how the impact get it done. And I realize that they've been working towards an identity all season long. They want to play out of the back. They want to hold on to the ball as much as possible. I realize all of that. But heading into tomorrow's game, I don't care how they get it done. I don't. And what I'm curious to see 
is if the coaching staff and Terry Henry added a wrinkle to the game plan. I, I don't even know what that wrinkle is. But I'm just curious to see if they're going to throw DC United a curveball. And if you look at how the last week or so has played out, the impact were supposed to come home after their game on Saturday against Orlando. They ended up losing the game. They had a team meeting, and they decided not to get on the plane to Montreal, come home, quarantine for three days, and then fly back to Jersey on Thursday, train for a couple of days in preparation for this game at DC United at Audi Field on Sunday. So you stayed in Jersey all week. So what did you do this week to prepare for that game? And it's not just about the preparation. It also has a lot to do with, like I said, adding a wrinkle, something that DC United is not expecting. Because if you stayed in Jersey all week just to train on the things or practice the things that you've been working out all year, great, okay, fine. But I want to know what Thierry Henry and the staff are doing to throw DC United a curveball. Because the reality is that DC United is preparing for the Montreal Impact. And how do you prepare for a team? You know, they've played once before. They played in the MLS's back tournament, which is a game Montreal won. And then you follow the tape, right? You watch what's on tape. Montreal prepares for DC. They watch what's on tape. They watch for tendencies. And DC United does the same thing. So does Terry Henry and that staff have the capability in one week of adding a new wrinkle to this team? And I'll tell you right now, the, the big debate has been, and, and I, I really don't want to get too technical. I, I, I don't want to break the break down the X's and O's in soccer. I just, I don't think that does, you know, you any service. I, I really don't. But where have the impact been? You know, what has Terry Henry been saying about the impact, you know, conceding goals? And it's been a lack of focus and it's been balls in behind the defense. How can I isolate or how can I help insulate, is the better word, the defense? I think if you look at Samuel Piet, you look at Victor Mwanyama, those are two guys who are capable of clogging up the middle of the field. And I know throughout the entire season, Samuel Piet has been getting forward more and more. And Impact fans have been you know, critical of that. And I, I'll, I'll even... You know, I'll admit that it's not something that I expected to see this season. But for whatever reason, Terry Henry and the staff, they feel like if they can get Sam Piet higher up the pitch, you know, that's part of what they want to, you know, that's part of what they want to accomplish in the game. Uh, you know, I, I still, I don't see it. I don't think that's uh, utilizing his strengths. So what would I do? I'll, I'll put it for you in, in simple terms. And I think having Sam Piet and Victor Wanyama, who kind of looked gassed, by the way, having those guys as holding midfielders, like guys who are just going to stay and win balls and defend and protect um, that defense, right? So whether you go with three center backs, whether you go with two center backs, I mean, whatever the case may be, you maybe want to help insulate your defense because that's the way you've been conceding goals lately, like we said, is balls behind the defense or balls through the defense. So 
instead of having your center backs have to worry about you know taking a couple steps forward and being ready for that, now all they have to worry about if they're protected by your two holding midfielders is the balls in behind. And I think when you have a guy like Camacho who's that aggressive, giving him one less thing to think about, I think that could be the difference between a win or a loss. Same thing for Louis Binks. Louis Binks very aggressive. He's had a nice season, but he's very aggressive. So I, I just I want to see the one thing I want to see tomorrow is what adjustment did you make? Because it is win and get in. I don't care about the identity you're trying to build long term for this club. I just I don't. I don't care about that. I don't care about any of that because. If you stick to your identity and lose tomorrow, then what good is that? What good is that? So I don't care about identities. I'll throw all that out the window. You stayed in New Jersey all week. Show me that you worked on something. Show me that you changed something up. Hit DC with something they're not expecting. They're not Real Madrid. They're not Barcelona. Hit them with something they're not expecting. Make them adjust to you. You've had all week. You you didn't come back home. So that's where I'm at with the Montreal Impact, and it leads into our uh, Saturday sports question of the day, which is you have to bet a paycheck on whether or not the Impact get into the playoffs tomorrow. Uh, You actually have three options. You can find this poll at Joey Alfieri on Twitter, at TSN690 on Twitter as well. So your options are, yes, they'll beat D.C. United. They'll make the playoffs. Two, no, they won't get in. Or three, they get in, but it's not because they beat D.C. United. So they either get a draw or a loss and some help. John, still want to bring you in here. How's it going, Johnny? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. I know uh, you pay very close attention to the Montreal Impact. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. I know you 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 get a big fat paycheck every week, That's... but I'm asking you to put it on the line. And where would you where would you bet? Where would you would you say they get in because they beat DC? No, they won't get in, or they get in without a win. Love to dispute the fatness of this paycheck, but uh, okay. anyways, um, man, I gotta go with the uh, with the backing into the playoffs. You via, think they back it via draw? That, that's how I see it happening for the Impact. Um, they've won two out of their last eight games. So over those last eight games, they've drawn one, they've won two, and they've lost the remaining five. So logic would say, based on their run of form, that they would probably lose. But at the same time, I just think in the end, I, I don't know necessarily if you're going to see all those... Uh, all those changes you'd like to see, but I think they're going to be a very defensively solid group, and they're going to try and sit back and counterattack. That, but that's all I'm asking for. Uh, to be honest, that's my that's my idea, right? Is I just want Sam Piet and Victor Wanyama to insulate your center backs. Whether you want to go with three, you want to go with two center backs. I, I honestly, I don't even care. Like I know that's the big controversy. Well, I mean, in they, Impact they, they World, would be, they would be sabotaging themselves now if they went with only two. I, but I don't think they would because I think what you do, John, is you put Wanyama and Piet instead of having Piet run up the right side of the field and to have it not really lead to anything. 
I would just plant Wanyama, Pietis holding midfielders. Because how have the goals been going? What has Terry Henry said the last couple of weeks? It's all about balls that get in behind the defense. So how do you deal with that? Instead of having your aggressive... Because we agree that Camacho and Binks are very aggressive center backs, mm-hmm. right? So instead of them having to worry about you know, the balls, like being aggressive and stepping up as center backs, just worry about the balls that in behind. That's all I need you to focus on because I have Wanyama and Piet in front of you taking care of the middle of the field. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, we're saying all those things, and it sounds great. I mean, that would be great, except it just it hasn't happened. The, the defensive solidity has not translated week in and week out. And the other thing is, is we're talking about the whole other side of the pitch. Unless they're going to win nil-nil, someone's going to have to score a goal, and that's a whole other kettle of fish, which has been something that is Well, it's, been, it's only two games where they haven't. They haven't found the back of the net. I know. But, but they're a team that can score. They can, can they defend? I don't know. I, well, I do know. I, that's why I'm going with the backing into the playoffs, because I feel very shaky about either way, one or the other. Um, but yeah, thank God I'm not a betting man. Thank God. <laughs> All right. I uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, John, that uh, Chris Nyland has weighed in. And uh, Chris says, go with three center backs. So if Knuckles says it, I'm on board. He wants three center backs, so do I. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, we will be talking more impact with uh, the assistant sporting director of the club, Vasily Kremenzidis. Uh, that goes just after 11.05. But right now, we transition to the other football. Is your fantasy football team in need of a big win in Week 9? Mine definitely is. Well, we're here to help. John Daigle from NBC's Roto World Football will join us to give some tips and tricks in fantasy this weekend. Welcome back. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with you till noon. A reminder, we will be talking more NFL football with the coach, Jeff Reinbold, uh, just after 11.35. We'll also be chatting with former Montreal Alouettes legend Thomas Haskins uh, in about 15 minutes. But right now, it's a pleasure to welcome to the show from NBC's RotoWorld.com and RotoWorld Football, John Daigle. John, what's going on? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. No worries, man. Um... I know it's Daigle, uh, John, but you were in Montreal, Canada now, and uh, we might just call you Daigle for uh, the rest of uh, this segment, if that's okay. <laughs> it's not a French-Canadian name. It is actually a Cajun name. Oh, really? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. but you know of the name, of course, up there. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, we've got a lot of Daigles up here, but yeah. Well, we'll, st- well you know what, John? We'll stick with Daigle. I think that's uh, that's best for uh, everybody involved. And, and, by the, and by the way, yeah. I take an annual hiking trip through Canada. Um, yeah typically in Banff, Alberta, but also I have been to Montreal, Quebec. And so a uh, big fan, big fan of Canada. Oh, nice, man. Great. Well, hopefully uh, next time you're up here, you let us know, and uh, we'll uh, we'll take you out for some smoked meat or some real bagels or oh, uh, what, whatever Love you it. like. Uh, all right. I've, listen, John, I've got issues. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good uh, fantasy football guy. Like, I think I have, uh, you know, I have a, a decent mind at it. I won all three of my leagues last year. I've had success this year. It took a global pandemic to stop me, but I'm I'm in some trouble, man. I'll, I'll I'll run down, and I think a lot of people are in the same boat as me. Uh, in one of my leagues, I was feeling really good about my top four picks. I I was I had Zeke Elliott in the first round. I took Mike Evans late in the second round. Uh, I took Jonathan Taylor in the third, and Zach Ertz in the fourth. How do you think it's going for me right now? That sounds kind of rough, but to be <laughs> honest, at least you're in similar waters. Because unless you really took Devontae Adams like as your first overall pick, yeah. it's pretty troubling right now. So Zeke is uh, questionable with the hamstring. 
Uh, there's, of course, there's a lot of uh, Zeke fantasy owners listening right now. Uh, I'm just wondering, like, what would be your approach if you had Zeke in there as your RB1? Like, are you are you sticking it out throughout the year? You're looking to maybe make a move and cut your losses? Like, what's your approach? I'm absolutely trying to sell him high. I say sell high. But the fact is, he's been the RB19, 39, and 35 over the past three weeks in fantasy. And this Cowboys offense has taken a step back, averaging just 7.3 points per game since Dak Prescott went down in the three games they've had to use Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci. Yeah. So I am absolutely worried. So whether it's Zeke Elliott or Amari Cooper, I'm trying to sell them for namesake and hoping someone wants to take them on, especially because we could lose a game from Zeke this week. He's questionable. He didn't practice in full throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And then also the Cowboys have their buy in week 10. So it makes sense that they could logically sit him, see what they have in Tony Pollard, since this is already a lost season for them. And that, that's already two games that we're not going to have Zeke moving forward. So I want to sell him for the namesake immediately. All right. Um, looking at it, Sunday nighter, tomorrow night, it's uh, the Saints and the uh, and the Bucks. Antonio Brown is uh, going to make his season debut. We don't know how many plays. Bruce Arians says we don't know how many plays he's going to play. Uh, what are you expecting from Antonio Brown the rest of the way? And how do you think it affects the guys like Gronk, Evans, and Chris Godwin? I'm quite high on him the rest of the way because they accidentally fell into a 11 personnel, a three-wide yeah. set, right? Um, they had Gronk and O.J. Howard, but without O.J. Howard, who tore his ACL mid-year, they've now become a heavier team of three-wide sets. And they just didn't have the right person for the, that third receiver spot. They've been trying Tyler Johnson. We saw on Monday night they tried Jaden Mickens, who Brady got audibly mad at because he stopped her out midway. Um, so with Chris Godwin supposedly coming back healthy Sunday night, Antonio Brown playing, this is arguably the strongest three-wide set in the entire league. So I will say I'm high on him moving forward um, as the wide receiver two behind Godwin. I still think Godwin is the most important player for Brady from the slot for the rest of the season. Uh, Having said that, I'm not as high as him immediately because I do believe Bruce Arians and that he'll slowly get integrated in the offense. So personally, wide receiver three on Sunday night, but a wide receiver two for the rest of the season. He's John Daigle of Roto World's uh, or NBC's Roto World Football. Uh, John, um, so looking at the uh, Indianapolis Colts situation, I know you guys. I, I read the rankings on Roto World every week. I know you guys were all super high on Jonathan Taylor, and I was too. I thought that was a, that was a boom spot for him. Uh, it didn't end up working out that way. Uh, now I know he was limited in practice. I think he was full in practice uh, later on in the week. But how do you see this with between Naeem Himes uh, and and Taylor and and anyone else they've got back there? How do you see it playing out for the Colts? Taylor and Jordan Wilkins were both full on Friday, which yeah. means that both will play. Uh, but this has become a three-headed committee, which is the worst-case scenario for all of them. Uh, Jordan Wilkins has played well enough to basically strip Taylor of the role he had primarily before the bye week. And now him, Hines, will continue to be involved on passing downs. So what has happened now is that I think Jordan Wilkins will lead in touches, but that even is only, quote-unquote, only 15 to 20, whereas Taylor will still sprinkle in for 10 to 12 touches, Mm -hmm. and then Naheem Hines will get five to eight catches. So, again, worst-case scenario, but right now at this time, I think Jordan Wilkins is the highest floor of all of them because he will lead the backfield in touches. And more importantly, fantasy players need to take a dabble on one of them because they have the easiest schedule to close the year for the fantasy playoffs. So it's important to just take a shot, and hopefully everyone gets it right. So you're so in my position, yeah, you're keeping Taylor for now. 
I'm I'm stashing Taylor. I'm not starting him. I want Joan Wilkins for the stretch run. I got you. Um, all right, our listeners are always looking for those sneaky, those good plays, even for you know guys that can uh, kind of pinch hit for a week or two. Uh, anybody flying under the radar, you think, maybe not a, a household name that could be available in the leagues, somebody that can help you win, get you through the next couple weeks? Uh, John Brown was probably dropped in a lot of leagues because he only has 69 receiving yards since week three. But for this week, he has the best matchup you could possibly have. We know the Bills target their wide receivers at the second highest rate in the league um, because they have nowhere else to go. And that's exactly where you should attack Seattle, who have allowed the most fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers. So I like him to explode this weekend, despite what he has done since week three. Uh, And then I'll say, uh, if you want someone here after the bye week, like if you're looking ahead to week 10, I think Auden Tate slowly comes into play. And I'll talk about this on Roto World also next week. Mm -hmm. But he only ran 18 routes. Uh, OC Brian Callahan came out and said that they want to integrate him more over A.J. Green. And he actually got seven targets on those 18 routes. And so to see him play more for a team that is averaging the most dropbacks per game because they have to throw every single week, that team can support two or three wide receivers weekly. So I, I think Auden Tate, actually, for deeper leagues, the guy struggling right now, is a really sneaky pickup during Cincinnati's bye week. And look, I'll, I'll leave you with this one, uh, John. I, I know the uh, the Ravens haven't necessarily been as dynamic on the field on offense. I, I'm not really worried about them just yet. I think they'll figure it out uh, with Greg Roman and the offensive staff there. But you have any concerns about you know maybe a Lamar Jackson, a Mark Andrews going forward just between now and the end of the uh, fantasy football season? Sure, some concerns, uh, but I will be more concerned if they are not exploding this Sunday. Uh, I am very high on the Ravens' offense getting back on track this week. Lamar's third game ever um, on turf as well, and this team is meant to play fast. This team is meant for an indoor arena uh, with Marquise Brown, with J.K. Dobbins now leading the backfield, with Gus Edwards behind him. So I'm actually looking forward to the game this week, and if they do not explode this week, then I would be concerned. But right now, as we stand, I am very high still on the Ravens' offense. Hey, John, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate uh, all the advice, and I'm sure our listeners do too. And hopefully we can do this again real soon. Hopefully we can do it in person. Next yeah, time man, that would, be, that would be awesome. Absolutely. It's John Daigle of uh, Roto World Football breaking down the uh, fantasy football landscape for us. I need a win in uh, multiple leagues. I only play three. Uh, that's the most I can handle. I've been invited to a couple more, but uh, it affects my mood. John still, it affects my mood. Like when it's not going well, it affects my mood. So I've got a, I've decided in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to set my lineup mm-hmm. and then I'm going to turn off the app and I'm just going to watch football because it affects me. See, I've just played for the last two years. I've just played fantasy football in terms of survivor pools. So picking the actual spread and the teams, but I can't understand playing multiple fantasy football teams because you're not going to have it's the same players. Rights. I know, but it's so just you're going up rights. against like you, at one point you're screaming for Tyreek Hill to get a touchdown. Then you're yelling at Tyreek Hill to run to the five yard line, but not get a touchdown because that would be bad. Hey, it's part Again, of the game, man. It's so frustrating. I would never be able to do it. Pick your one team folks out there and stick with it. Try and make that team a winner instead of hedging your bets a la Giuseppe Alfieri Relax. and seeing what happens. Relax. All right. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, John, still with you till noon. A reminder that the uh, Impact's Assistant Sporting Director, Vasily Kremenzidis, uh, will join us just after 11 o'clock. But it's time to talk a little Alouettes. Thomas Haskins, terrific running back for the Owls in the late 90s and early 2000s. 
But there was one controversial play that didn't go his way in a championship game where the referee's right not to throw a flag on that one. Of one of the that was one of the most controversial plays in Grey Cup history. I'll ask Thomas Haskins next. This is Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. Hey, this is Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. I'm Joey Alfieri with you till noon. We will be talking some more NFL football with the coach Jeff Reinbold just after eleven thirty five. Uh, but it's a pleasure to welcome to the show right now former Alouettes running back. I feel bad calling him a running back because he did so much more than that. Thomas Haskins. Thomas, what's going on, man? Hey, good morning, Joey. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Just trying to stay safe and 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 stay uh stay up with all the sports. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, this is a true story. I want to I wanted to start here with you. Uh, I live you know a little south of downtown Montreal, uh, Thomas, and I was walking around. Uh, it was I guess this was this summer, and I was taking a walk with my wife, and uh, I saw a gentleman you know approaching me on the sidewalk. He was wearing an Alouettes jersey. And the number was kind of faded on the front, so I couldn't really make it out. So I always, you know, I'll always turn around when he walks by me and I'll look. And it was a four Haskins. So I just want you to know that people out here are still thinking about you and they're still wearing your jerseys in the street, man. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. That's not a word of a lie. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I'm honored and privileged. And I tell you, that my time in Montreal was amazing. And I'm thankful that we were able to bring a great cup back to Montreal as well. So, um, what have you been up to since uh, post football? Well, I, initially, when I first, um, unfortunately, my my career had ended um, with the um, with the benign brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Thankful that was removed, and um, and after that, I took a year off, and then I went into the fitness industry. I became a, a fitness sales uh, consultant. And then I became the general manager. So I was in the fitness industry for over 14 years. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I'm now, um, since then, been into the medical field, dealing with uh, walkers for the older population, as well as lift chairs. So medical field as of now. Oh, very cool. And, and you're in Virginia? Yes, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Family, um, wife and two and two children, a son and a daughter. Yeah, you're, is your son playing? Does your son play football? Is he at Old Dominion? You know, yeah, so unfortunately he decided he didn't want to play um, football anymore, and he he decided that early on in um in his high school days. But uh, he's doing very well, and he also um is seeking um the the rap industry or, or music. Industry. Oh, very cool! Oh, I wish I would have known. We could have played some of his stuff here. Maybe we can play some of his stuff in the coming <laughs> weeks. That'd be awesome. That'd be cool. I right, take up on that. All right, um, look, I, I, let's. I, Okay, fine. We'll start here. I want to get this out of the way, okay? I want to take you down uh, memory lane, Thomas, so I've got a couple clips I want to play for you, all right? Okay. Now second and 19. Montreal's in three-down territory now. Galvillo gunning it wide open. Look out! Ben Cahoon! Touchdown! Can you believe it? 60 yards! 44 seconds to go. But they still need two more. All right, so that's the 2000 Grey Cup, Montreal, BC, in Calgary. Uh, you guys, last minute of play, you guys are down eight, and Ben Cahoon scored. What do you remember about that game besides the way it ended? Because I want to get there with you next. Yeah, so it was it was a great game, and it was a great battle back into the game, and um, we just was battling to the end. And, and unfortunately, me personally, as as a team member, didn't close the deal by by getting the uh, by catching the ball. But uh, it was a great game, and I think we were right there and 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 getting it great cup, you know, getting the great cup. But I can't take it away from BC and um, Damon Allen. 
All right, so you guys score the touchdown, the long Ben Cahoon one. It was uh, 60 yards, as we heard Chris Cuthbert describe there. Uh, so you guys are down by two with 44 seconds left. And now it comes down to this. Remember, the Lions missed on their two-point attempt. Mike Pringle will not be a factor. Haskins is in. Here comes the blitz, Calvillo in the end zone, incomplete! Haskins tripped up, they're looking for a flag, there is not one on the carpet. That one still bothers me, so I can't even imagine what you feel like still 20 years later. Yeah, it still bothers me, and, and it's like any type of um, circumstance or situation, you have to answer the bell, and, and unfortunately I didn't answer the bell. I can't say and still won't say if that was a pass interference, but when the ball is thrown your way and your number is called, you have to deliver, and that's part of being a teammate and being a part of a, a, a – that separates you from being a champion versus being second. Well, hold on a second. Thomas, that's pass interference. It is pass interference, but I'm just telling you as far as <laughs> – just like you know how we hold kickers to a standard. Hey, you have one job to do. The whole game and going into that game, I thought initially that I was going to start because um, Pringle's uh, hamstring was bothering. But unfortunately, I didn't play. So when I did get the opportunity to make a defining uh, play, I didn't answer the bell. And that's just that's just me being hard on myself and how I've always been. And, and it comes from, you know, years of playing the game of football. Former Al's running back Thomas Haskins joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, so what was it like to be in the running back room with Mike? Like, how intense was Mike? <laughs> it was intense. I tell you, it's one where I always think back when I initially came to Montreal, young guy just coming out of uh, college and everything. Yeah. Um, for the For the first three weeks, I would say, he really didn't have too much to say to me when we was down in St. John's to Richard Lou. Yeah. Um, but I understood because what it is is that you see so many guys coming and going and getting cut that he didn't, you know, he didn't take to me or anything. But once I made the team and once I made it to Montreal from St. John to Richard Lou, then that's where we, you know, talked more. And as time went on, I would bounce things off him. But I think more importantly, I, 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 tried to relish in his work ethic. He had a, a awesome work ethic, and he didn't leave no stone unturned. Give me your best Pringle story, on or off the field. Best Pringle story is is um, when he was, you know, vibing for his, um, when he was going for the 2,000 yards. Uh -huh. He was focused. I mean, he was focused. Everything around you, I don't even think he drank for like months going up into that time but you know he just stayed focused on getting that 2,000 yards and you know he just one of those just high energy he just high strung about football and he eat sleep and breathe football and me personally I try to you know have a balanced life just like everybody in Montreal yeah. you enjoy yourself but you also play the game but that that 2,000 when he was going for that 2,000 that was really amazing for me but you know any type of comical stories, I think, is one where you talk about, um, you know, when we would go out, people would, you know, see Mike and they would think he was this mean guy, but he was just like a teddy bear off the field. So that's really one of the funniest things where people didn't know how to approach him, but he was very approachable and he was totally different than what you saw on the field. And uh, look, Mike was great. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the the best, I think, the best running back, you know, once he got going, 
I mean, it was it was nearly impossible to stop him. But you know, I was looking at your numbers, and I I still maintain, and I, and I've written about this and for different places, I maintain that you are because Mike was here, you remain one of the most probably the most underrated player in franchise history. Thomas, like I was looking at the numbers in O two, uh, you ran the ball fifty five times, you averaged five point seven yards a carry, and oh by the way. You added sixty-eight receptions. And you almost had a thousand yards receiving. Like those are those are ridiculous numbers. Like those are what running backs are expected to do today. But you were doing it like twenty years ago. Yeah, and 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 I thank you for acknowledging that. I think it comes down to just playing your role when when you're able to. Um, when I say that, you know, I always knew Mike coming in. I knew Mike was there, and I just had to fit in, get in where I fit in. And that was being that utility guy, being that utility guy, and being mm-hmm. able to answer the call when my—I mean, answer my number when it's called—and that's what I try to do. One thing I will tell you about um, the system we ran, particularly with uh, Coach Matthews, yep. it allowed me to play different positions. Mm-hmm. That utility guy, whether it was returns, whether it was a uh, receiver, it just allowed me to be more versatile. And that's why I try to do because one thing Jim Pop always told me, he said, Thomas, we only have 18 spots. You know, you got to always provide value. And yeah. I tried, that's my time in Montreal. That's what I try to do is add value. And I, and I thank you for acknowledging that. But I just tried to go out every every day and try to be different than the rest. And that's catching, running, and also returning. Yeah, you were you were doing what the running backs are asked to do now. Like I said, you were doing that 20 years ago. And uh, you, you were always, I mean, you you're always you were always so I mean you're just you're terrific you're really really fun to watch and that's why it's not surprising to me uh, that I'm still seeing number four Haskins jerseys uh, in the streets of Montreal I uh, wanted to mention this it's uh, he's Thomas Haskins former Al's running back joining us on Saturday sports on TSN 690 uh, as soon as I tweeted that you were coming on the show uh, I got a message from uh, Danny Machocha who said uh, Make sure you say hi to uh, Thomas Haskins for me. I had the pleasure to coach him in Montreal and Edmonton. And then Thomas, I asked him for a funny story. And he said, I don't really have a story, but he was a smooth operator. He can talk himself out of anything. Funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want one example of you talking yourself out of a jam. Uh, probably had to be uh, um, missing. I had missed a flight. I had missed a flight. Um, no. We were headed to. I think we were headed to Winnipeg or somewhere. But you know, I told the coach I set my alarm and and I was <laughs> ready to go. And unfortunately, I got the times mixed up. And you know, they, Coach Matthews said, "Hey, you got to get here the best way you can." And lo and behold, I knew one of the um, agents at the uh, at the um, airport. And she allowed me to use her buddy pass. Back then, you could have buddy pass and all that. And she was an Alouette fan. And she, lo and behold, she allowed me to get on um, the next flight to Winnipeg. So I was so thankful. And I actually, if I'm not mistaken, I got there before the team. So it was one where that's where I could, I guess, Coach Machocha got that from. Because I just try to, you know, make sure that almost like a lawyer, you try to make sure that you're able to navigate when you face adversity. <laughs> okay, okay. Now that it's been uh, it's been a few years, what really happened? 
Hey, hey, I'm telling you, that alarm will get you. I don't know if it was a change. I don't know if it was uh, daylight saving time or what, but <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> All right, you're sticking to your story. I respect that. Uh, but with, with Danny in particular, I, I'm not sure. I'm sure you, you've seen in the news, but uh, he became the general manager of the Alouettes, and that's obviously been a lifelong dream for him. And uh, you worked with him uh, while he was here. Uh, you, uh, when you were your brief stint in Edmonton that year, uh, where you didn't play, he was there as well. But what can you tell me about uh, Danny Machocha, the football mind? What, what, how did you get to know him, and and what did you think? He, I saw him evolve. I mean, he was he was a running back coach, put in a position to to handle Pringle with his status and everything, and he did an awesome job. He knew the buttons to push and everything, and it wasn't a it wasn't an easy task, I would say that. But over the time, I saw him evolve, particularly when we got to Edmonton and the relationship that they had. But he just really fits the mold for where Montreal is today, and I think he'll do an exceptional job. And it, it, when you have a person that's been in that in that in that realm of Montreal and raised and born there, it's just fitting that they selected him to be the um, general manager. So I think he'll do an awesome job. And how about I wanted to ask you about 2002. Uh, that was your last year here before you signed uh, with Edmonton. You talked about the the tumor as well uh, that that forced you to stop playing. But when Don Matthews got here. I mean, you guys went to the Grey Cup. We played the clip in 2000. You guys had Charlie Taff. Uh, the 2001 season, you guys kind of, you got off to a good start. Calvillo got hurt. You fell apart. Uh, but O2, like what changed when Don Matthews got here? His his his, his ability to, to relate to the players. He always, his mindset was, okay, I know we're in Montreal. I know what's going on. I'm not naive to anything. He said, however... I hold everybody accountable when you come to Olympic Stadium. When you come to the Big O and when you cross those lines, he held everybody accountable. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier <laughs> um, with the uh, with the alarm clock. It basically is one where, okay, you missed the you missed the flight, but once you cross that line, you better give him his all, or you're on the next thing smoking. And that's dinner on Delta. Dinner on Delta was his mindset. If you didn't perform, you were out of there. And that's what he hit. He held everybody accountable in all facets, whether you were the highest paid or whether you was the lowest paid. He held everybody accountable. Yeah, I don't know, Thomas. I think he had a special. He must have had a special place in his heart for you because I don't know too many other players that would have missed the flight to Winnipeg and been able to play. <laughs> You know, it's one I tell you, and he often, and again, you alluded to it, he often would look and tell me, he said, hey, Thomas, you remind me of pinball. When I had pinball yeah. in Toronto, he said, I will put you in those positions. You just got to make plays. And I, I guess he was alluding to the fact that, you know, not catching that, that pass in the Great Cup. But he said, I'm going to put you in the positions to be successful. And it's up to you to make, you know, make those plays. And that's what he did. He tried to put me in positions to where I could be successful, and I'm forever indebted for that, for him doing that. Yeah, and I'll never forget uh, this must, I'm pretty sure it was the front page of the Montreal Gazette. Uh, after you guys won the 2002 Grey Cup, it's it's a really, in my mind, it's a very iconic Montreal Alouettes photo. It was, uh, it was taken from behind you and Don Matthews, and you guys had your arms around each other, kind of looking out at the field, and you guys had just won the Great Cup. Do you remember that photo? Yes, yes. And I just had a love for that coach because, again, he loved his players. He would cut up with us. I mean, if we saw a young leader walking down the street, he would say, wow, y'all see that? So it just was one where he not only was a coach, 
but he was a father figure and he just was just one of the guys. But at the same time, he knew where to stand as being a coach. But yes, I remember that uh, that picture. And in two, th- I mean, we played the clip right there, the ball that you didn't get to in two thousand. Uh, and then we talked about Danny Machocha. He ends up going to Edmonton when Don came here, and we had Tim Strickland, a linebacker, on the show a couple weeks ago, and he told me that when you guys met in the Grey Cup in 2002, you guys in Edmonton, that the night before the Grey Cup, he and Reggie Durden, who was a defensive back on that 2002 team, they rewatched the 2000 Grey Cup. They saw that two-point conversion that Danny Machocha ran with you. And so that's how they knew that that was coming at the end of the 2002 game. I never knew that. Yes, and those guys were – they studied film hard and – Strickland and Durden, those guys came from great programs in college. But, yeah, they, that's what you do. You prepare yourself for, hey, what did they run the year before? And, and that's one of the things that we banked on. But um, thankful to us that, you know, we were able to win the Great Cup that year. But uh, they were prepared. However, we just were more prepared, and, and we ended up winning the Great Cup that year in Edmonton. He's Alouette, former Owls running back Thomas Haskins, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri with you till noon. Uh, did you get to Montreal? I think you got to Montreal a year before Calvillo, right? You were here first? Yes, I was Yes, I was there first because Tracy Ham was the quarterback. Yeah. And then that next year, um, I think that was the, the, the legacy. That's when the legacy started. Could, and and that's, a, that's a quarterback, probably the best quarterback I've ever been in the locker room with. Could you tell right away? That he was going to be special, or did you? Because he just he had just come from Hamilton, and it didn't go well, and he was in Vegas before that. But could you tell right away, or did it take time for you to realize that he he had that in him? It it, it just took him time to, to just get under Tracy Ham's wing, because Tracy is one where he's a teacher, and even Tracy was one that told me he said, "Hey, stay calm, stay ready." He said, "He I know this Pringles show, but you stay ready." And those are the same same type of um, tools that he gave uh, Cavillo. And I think that when his years of leaving Hamilton really allow him to come into uh, Montreal, enjoy that first year learning and everything and getting acclimated to Montreal, but also to, to establish his family and, and, and do all the things he need to do and the way he is now. All right. You have a good Calvillo story, the early Calvillo story for me? The only one I have is that, you know, I had, a um, you know, when he, I had a expedition. That's my expedition that just came out, and and Cavillo and I was talking, <laughs> and he was like, "Thomas, hey man, I see everybody looking at your at your at your truck, man. What's that?" I said, "It's an expedition." And lo and behold, as soon as he signed that big contract after Tracy left, lo and behold, he got him an expedition, and he was the man. <laughs> he was the man, and I mean, he just he would be one of the guys. And then as he got that title as the starting quarterback everything else faded, and that's when he really settled down and focused in on his career, and that's why he's one of the best that ever ever played the um, quarterback position. He just was a good guy. I always tell people to see where he was in Hamilton and really not, you know, <laughs> not your favorite quarterback to where he stands today is a testament to his, his work ethic. So you had the expedition before he did? I did. I had the expedition because one of my buddies. It's funny how you you know you talk to people that play football. My buddy Dexter Coakley, who played for the Cowboys, yeah, he had called me. He had said, hey, "Thomas, him and I was at Fork Union Preparatory together." So he said, "Thomas, how you doing?" I said, "I'm good." He said, "I'm just getting back from my first year in Montreal." He said, "Okay, I'm just getting back to South Carolina." I said, "Okay, what you doing?" He said, "None, just 
came from getting an expedition. I said, what's that? And we didn't have, I don't think we even had Google back then. He said, well, it's a nice truck, you know, great um, SUV. And so I'm going to have to look that up. And lo and behold, I, I got one. And we just was guys with expeditions trying to do right. And, and that was his first year, um, first year after his first rookie year at um, with the Dallas Cowboys. So Jim Pop took care of you early on, eh? He did. He, I tell you, Jim Pomp tried to take care of those guys that he felt could would add value. And I think I like how he – I think, if I'm not mistaken, they do it a little different now. I like how Jim did everything. When you first got initially to Montreal, you never stepped foot in, in downtown Montreal. You started in St. John, so Richelieu. So right. you flew in and drove to St. John. Once you made the team – that's when you were able to experience Montreal, and that allowed people to stay focused. And that's one of the things I like as a general manager he did. And I tried to take some of those um, tools that he he exhibited um, when I became general manager in the fitness industry. You give somebody a playbook until they're able to pass these tests, then you give them more duties and, and, and allow them to do different things. And that's what he allowed me to do. Yeah, it's funny because they don't do training camp at uh, Saint Jean sur Richelieu anymore. Actually, the last couple of years they've done them in downtown. They've done training camp at at Molson Stadium, and they had moved even before that. They moved from Saint Jean sur Richelieu. Uh, they did it at Bishop's University. I'm not sure if you've ever been out there uh, in Lennoxville, Thomas. But I know a lot of the guys would often complain about the size of the beds, uh, the food at Saint Jean sur Richelieu. So that was no that was no walk in the park. No, I mean, it is just one where you have to earn your stripes. And just like I said, Pringle really didn't talk to me my first year until I made that team. And, that, and, and I did the same thing after that. I didn't do it to that extent. But you have to make sure that you, you see guys coming and going, obviously, for different reasons, because you have a limited number of, of Americans and, and Canadians. So you have that. But once you make that team, it's a fruitful experience mm-hmm. from the front office, from the ticket office to the to the to the stadium, to the trainers and everything. It's a great, great time. And I will never it could never be duplicated the times that we had in Montreal. When was the last time you spoke to Mike? Actually I texted Mike the other day. I texted Mike the other day. I didn't get a text back yet. But him and I we we text each other probably periodically, happy Father's Day. And happy Mother's Day and those things. So we stay in contact periodically. Oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, it was look, Thomas it was really fun. We ran out of time. It was really fun uh, to hear from you. And uh, hopefully, we can have you on telling more stories again soon. <laughs> hey, Joe, I appreciate you having me, man. Y'all be safe and thanks again. That's Thomas Haskins, former Montreal Alouettes running back, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN six ninety. Uh, just one of the most fun, dynamic players. To watch in an Alou- in an Alouette's uniform since since I've been following anyway, uh, he was a guy who could literally do it all on offense and can catch passes out of the backfield. Uh, could run the ball even between the tackles. He could do that. Uh, really strong in the return game. It was always a treat. It was always fun uh, to watch Thomas Haskins play. And uh, man, it's incredible how time flies. I can't believe that that uh, non-pass interference call in the 2000 Grey Cup uh, was already. 20 years ago. Is that uh, before your time, Johnny, still? No, I, I I remember that, but that was the thing is I didn't want to bring it up with Thomas. You already brought it up. You're the uh, Alouettes fan galore here at TSN. Well, I was a fan. I was a fan. I'm sorry, not a fan sorry, anymore. Sorry. You're not you're not a, you're not a fan anymore. But uh that's like the highlight for Thomas. That that like for me 
when a I singular think Thomas moment. Had, a singular well, that's what moment I mean, yeah. is that like it, it, it's unfair to his career. But I remember that play, and I remember being at home watching the Grey Cup with my family, everyone freaking out about how that wasn't pass interference. Yeah. I'm sure he had a couple more highlights that uh, he spoke about just earlier. For sure. But he was the, like, when he left, he so he left in the winter of 03, signed with Edmonton. And I was cru- like I was young, right? So I was I was crushed. I was I I loved watching Thomas Haskins play, uh, but then like he mentioned right off the top, he had that tumor. So he was with Edmonton for a year. The the Eskimos, believe it or not, they honored the contract for the first year, um, and then he just he couldn't do it anymore after a year off, and he decided to uh, to walk away on his own terms. But he was like he was a lot of fun. And when when you know Don Matthews, he mentioned that Don Matthews compared him to. Mike Pinball Clemens. Obviously, Clemens had a, you know, the, he has the numbers to back it up, but Thomas Haskins was very much that kind of player. He was, he could do it all out of the backfield. Uh, like I said, the, the last year in Montreal, he averaged 5.7 yards per carry and he had 940 receiving yards. That That's, that's incredible. Those are numbers that running backs didn't put up back in the day. It, it's a little more common now. But not back in the day. It's Saturday sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, John, still with you till noon. It's do or die for the impact tomorrow. You can catch the game right here on TSN 690, beginning at 2:30. How confident is management that the team can get the job done? The Impact's assistant sporting director Vasily Kremenzidis will tell us on Saturday sports on TSN 690.